Hi, I'm Ryan O'Hara, CEO and founder of Pitchfire. You're listening to Take Me Off Your List, presented by Pitchfire. They pay us the big bucks, and if you use them, they'll pay you the big bucks to get paid to get pitched. Take Me Off Your List is the rally cry of millions of B2B professionals out there. This podcast tackles all kinds of things around go-to-market. So whether you're in marketing, demand gen, sales, or just like the sound of my voice, you've come to the right place. Let's get started, shall we? Hello, everybody. Welcome to Take Me Off Your List. I couldn't do this podcast today without having someone that shares the namesake of this pod- podcast, the author of the podcast, the original OG, Seth List. What's up, Seth? What's up, Brian? Thanks for having me. <laughs> How was that intro? So uh, for people that don't know, um, Seth is uh, the head of sales development at TeamSense. He's helped a ton of startups before. With his, He has a uh, consulting shop called SalesCraft. And I, I constantly am like always seeing great things about Seth. And I was like, hey, you should come on and be on the pod and talk to me. Um, and so here he is. Today, we're going to kind of tackle a lot of stuff with sales development. How are you feeling about sales development today, Seth? Uh, you know, I have conflicted feelings about sales development. I love it. You know, it's how I grew up and um, where I make my money, how I pay, pay my mortgage. But um, it's changed a lot. So conflicted. Yeah, me too. Me too. Like for me, you know, it's funny when I first started Pitchfire, I did a bunch of messaging around like, hey, Outbound's screwed. Hey, Outbound's not going to work anymore, all this stuff. And then I started seeing all these other people do it. And now I don't like doing that anymore because like, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I kind of like doing stuff when it's like, I mean, some of the themes that are there, you know what, I, the way I'm kind of looking at it with like, what I'm trying to do with Pitchfire is it's almost like back in the day, people used to do marketing and then like, with online advertising and stuff, you're able to do paid marketing. And what I'm trying to build now is just paid prospecting. Like where you you pay a buyer to answer your prospecting. Like that's kind of like where I'm hugging it. And that messaging has changed a lot over the past several months because like we've seen different things thread in sales development. Um, I think to start with today, for the people that are listening, I want to kind of tackle and discuss with you like when it, when should you build a sales development team? So like that's something you help a lot of companies with with figuring that stuff out. Like, what's the deal? What are you what are you listening for to be like? Oh, it sounds like this should go to sales development. Yeah. So uh, some people hate me uh, for this answer, and and my clients tend to love me, or at least are, are open to the answer. But the truth is, it depends. Uh, there's a there's a lot uh, that goes into like, are we ready? Should we? Um, if we do how and when, and what do we expect of them? So, uh, that, I think that it, that's one of the biggest challenges for, you know, early companies seed series a, you know, you get a little, you got a, a whiff of product market fit. You, you hopefully have a, a paying customer or two, at least folks that are using the product. And then the question is, how do we scale this thing? Um, and what I do, you know, and, and from a consulting capacity is go in and ask all the questions, do, do discovery basically to help the business and the founder answer those questions for themselves. Cause there is no, there's no single answer. There's no boxes to check that say like, if you do this, then you can end good conscience and confidently go spend, you know, six figures building an SDR program. So people don't know this. This is your gimmick, Seth. This is how I get you. Uh, we're doing a podcast, but maybe I'm actually using you for consulting on this podcast right now. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all good. So what are some questions that people should ask? Like if we were doing a call right now and I'm talking about pitch fire with you and you're like, I'm like, Hey, I need help figuring out sales development. What were, what would some of the questions be that you'd ask? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the kind of clean cut up top is, uh, what's happening in the market. So I typically ask a bunch of questions about, uh, pipeline, current customers, paid, unpaid usage stats, uh, any evidence of ROI. Um, 
and then the other the other side of that coin is like internally um how are you staffed today who's accountable for what how are things going um in startups you, you often see a few attempts at something so if I go to talk to your head of marketing, like are they the first one that you brought in to do the job or have you gone through a couple of others? Have you used outsourced partners? And if so, why and how do things go? Again, just like kind of discovery. What are you trying to do? How are you doing it today? How's it working? What do you want to change? Um, and if you could wave the wand, like what would change look like? What's an ideal outcome? Kind of take them through that process. And again, the the cleanest cut is what's happening outside the business in terms of prospect and customer interactions. And then internally, what does the team look like? How's it staffed and how are things working? Interesting. So I've never heard this idea before. It's genius. If you talk to a startup and they've been through a couple marketing people or been through a couple AEs, maybe dealing with inbound, that could be a signal they're not ready for sales development, right? That's what you're saying? Uh, not necessarily. And the the interesting part, uh, you know, I've been doing sales development for 20 years, uh, largely in startup environments. And so in the early days, it was like, uh, well, shit, if they've let somebody go or they've hired a contractor and, and parted ways, like the problem was that person. What I've learned over time is that uh, depending on the founder's background, previous experience as an entrepreneur, what they did before they started a company, they may have some some false assumptions, preconceived notions about what's possible in their business today. And my job is to like debunk some of that for them to help them understand the broader perspective. The, the early days of my career, having had a lot, you know, quote, a lot of jobs was a bad thing. It hindered me a little bit in recruiting cycles. Um, today, certainly as a consultant, it's a value add to my customers, right? Like the breadth and depth of iterations of buyer personas and deal sizes and tech stacks and team designs, right? All lets me bring that to the table and tell some stories and say, here's what I've seen. And let's try to put this in the context of your business and figure out what makes sense for you today. And the the put in perspective too, like you've been entrenched in a ton of different environments too, of different companies at different stages. Like you worked at Google, you worked at Canva, you worked at, like you've been, you've seen different size companies from little tiny companies to big companies, right? I mean, you've seen a ton of this stuff change over the years. Yes. So, okay. Uh, someone comes to you, you're listening to this and you're like, Hmm, we have sales development already. Um, did we start it correctly? What do you do if you're like, yeah, you know what? You guys should have some sales development. Like what, what, what's the first thing you do? What do you look for with like, how many people do you hire? What's the investment like? Like wh what do you do? What's, what's, what's the next step? Yeah. Um, I feel like I've been really fortunate to work uh, directly with founders and CEOs, uh, both as a you know a consultant and an employee, but getting more perspective uh, and exposure to um, the kind of like finance and, and model side of the equation. Because there's like very real practical applications. 10 years ago, I would have said, here's the like average cost of an SDR in market. Is this realistic for you? Do we get one and spend most of our cash? Do we get two and hire the more entry-level profile? Um, I still do that, but I'm trying to balance that with like, let's talk about your budget and your goals. Yeah. Like, and can, can we make the math math? <laughs> um, because there are plenty of uh, firms out there that do really incredible research to keep us all informed in terms of average pay and quota design and some of the, the specific market considerations in terms of what does it cost to hire an SDR and what geos we're now in this like kind of hybridized. A lot of companies are fully remote by, by design, uh, which gets, you know, expensive markets like New York and San Francisco out of the way to some degree. But 
you know, again, it depends. I give that answer a lot and then follow up with a whole bunch of questions of my own in, in most cases. So. All right. I'll give you my opinion because I'm an opinionated jerk and I want to hey, do it. Please. Got to do it. Got to do it. I definitely think that if you're hiring for sales development reps, it's a really good idea to start with pairs. Um, I, and I, I, I heartedly I, agree. Yeah. I, I think that if you, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm a startup founder, I'm going to tip my toe in sales development. Let's hire one person, see how they do. Honestly, if you get two people, not only is it better for the sake of figuring out if like you can learn faster, if sales development's going to work for you yet or not, but you compete with each other. Even if, you're, even if it's friendly, like one of my best business friends is the CEO of, uh, of Zite. His name's Scott Smith. We both started as their first business development reps at a company called Dime. And like, we, we joked that we were like Gary and Ash and Pokemon, <laughs> like, like we're rivals, but we we're friendly and we helped each other. And like, you know, when we, when, there'd be a Friday afternoon where we both would be like really wiped out. We'd both go to a conference room and alternate doing cold calls and like practice with each other and try and get, give each other feedback. And like when you're by yourself, I think it's a little bit harder to do that stuff, especially if you're entry level. Like if you, if you're start hiring your first SDR when they're a person out of college or something, you, they're going to, you're kind of setting them up to fail. I think at a startup, if they haven't done it before. I, I violently agree with you there. The the other topic that comes up uh, pretty frequently is the notion of outsourcing. Like, Hey, Seth, should we outsource it? Um, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about the role. I, I, in my bones, believe that sales development best serves an organization as an in-house function, but as a bridge to can we and should we make the investment in hiring full-time staff and everything that comes with that, uh, outsourcing isn't a bad option. I have plenty of clients that <clears throat> bring me on to help vet, vet uh, vendors yeah. um, negotiate contracts and then manage those vendors, right? Because there's also a, a very real cost to managing that relationship uh there's some good ones out there there are a whole bunch that are just okay but um you know understanding the needs of your business understanding what questions to ask as you're as you're going through the kind of selling cycle with a, a potential third-party partner and then everything that comes with it after you you make a decision you hire someone i don't know of any agencies that are doing you know sdr as a service that are truly set it and forget it not in the first 90 days they still have to ramp they still have to be managed there still has to be ongoing communication um and so i often augment an in-house team by just carrying the torch of i'm going to manage this relationship i'm going to build your reports i'm going to provide them with feedback and and work to get the the best production out of this partner that we can and to your point around hiring too whether it's grabbing an agency and purposely asking that you put two SDRs on the project to see how they compete against each other or bringing in two, two third-party partners and comparing them against each other. Uh, your point is a really valid one that, you know, if you've only got one data point, right, is the problem the person or is the problem something else? When you've got two, you learn more faster. I love when you say you're right. Thank you. <laughs> you're very welcome. You, um, you're, yeah, I'll tell anybody you paid me to do that. Yeah, yeah. I did I did not compensate it. Uh, so, um, I like the outsource route's interesting. Let's talk about that for a second. I It's funny. I I think you're in Austin, right? That's where you live? I am. Yeah. yeah. I, like, I think, isn't like Memory Blue based in Austin? They're like one of the big ones, right? Uh, EB Quick Start's based here. Uh, Memory Blue might have a big presence. There's um, a lot. Yeah, there's like a lot of these like big on-demand SDR firms and a lot of the, for people that aren't familiar with this, you're like, wait, you can do that. Um, it's different than like hiring some random lead gen person on like Upwork or something like that. What you do with these on-demand SDR firms is they like, they have all the tech, the infrastructure and the training and you hire them to do prospecting. And what they do is they go shadow and talk to your rep or your founders and figure out how to sell this stuff. And then they put them through the infrastructure and ringer that they have in place 
some of these places, there's kind of two models. One, you just pay them a monthly retainer and they go do it and they charge per meeting on top of that monthly retainer. The second model is that you go outsource and then they ramp. And when they're done ramping, they join your company as a full-time hire. Those are kind of the common two paths you'll see with on-demand SDR firms. Um, there's pros and cons to it. Um, when I was at Lead IQ early on, it was just me. Um, I remember we outsourced to someone that I had worked with before. And like we were peddling huge on like at Lead IQ early, like, hey, be thoughtful, you're prospecting, do personalization, all this stuff. And the group I hired was not doing any of that stuff. And it blew up in my face. I literally got called out on LinkedIn by somebody at HubSpot who like knew me and like followed me and knew like what we, you know, I had a decent following when I joined Lead IQ about prospecting. And like the, like the dude was like, Oh, really good personalization here. And the, I would like, we gave these people a Lead IQ email. So there's risk with it too, but like you got to kind of tell them like what you're aiming for and why it's important and why it fits your brand. And, uh, all that. Um, do have you had any horror stories with outsourcing, or is it usually like pretty good? Um, I mean, as a rule, I, I don't personally outsource. Yeah, it's like yeah. not not my jam. Um, and just a quick thought: like good news travels fast, and bad news travels faster. I learned that early in my career, and and uh, kind of carry that lesson with me. Um, you know, I think the 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 trick, like what what the goal should be in terms of outsourcing, is is really spending time with potential vendors in that selling process and ask like all the questions, all of them. I think one of the big challenges for the outsource vendors is based on the, the, the business model itself, right? I think there's, there's performance based, which is like the outsourced equivalent of hiring somebody in in-house, but like a base plus a variable a performance based component. I don't know that anybody still does like full on hundred uh, percent commission, but that's yeah. where I started. My career was maybe hundred percent commission sales job. Yep. Um, we get the member of the blues who are a, a sophisticated version of contract to hire. And there are a few that do fix fee, right? Like you're just going to pay us what you pay us regardless of the outcomes. Um, it's less about the model though. That's relevant. It's in my mind, more about understanding what is the depth of your experience with our market, the types of companies we sell to the nature of the products, the buyers and buyer personas within, because I will pay a ton for someone who has like specific relevant experience to my business today. Yeah. If they're if, if they basically serviced a competitor, that's hugely valuable to me. The learning curve for their team is infinitely shorter, right? If they are a jack of all trades, <laughs> master of none, I think that's where uh, a lot of early stage companies get into trouble is that they, they put credence into the customer references and the case studies on the website and the results that they tout. But if it's not contextual, right? Like yeah. I, if you're selling a MarTech solution that's ahead of the curve and they've got experience selling everything but that to establish categories, right? That's not a good fit. In the same way that you wouldn't hire someone that doesn't have contextualized, like relevant experience for the role. Yeah. Um, and co companies make that mistake too, right? Uh, somebody's got great experience at a, a series E company. They crushed it for two years, but the market is mature. The category is defined and they hire them for a category creator at a company of 12 people. And then wonder a year later, why that sales hire failed. Well, like whose fault is that? I was about to say this point and then you just did it. Now I don't have to say, Sorry. like I was, no, I was We're thinking the same, the same thing. No, like, so if you're listening to this, I'll give you an example. Let's say you work at a company that's series B, you're the market leader in whatever you did. Go find SDRs that are have worked at market leaders before. If you're someone that's if you're someone that's an up and coming startup, and you want to fill up an SDR role, role, I don't 
don't go and hire someone that was an SDR at Salesforce or, or, or like, or or Oracle or one of those companies. Like, what are you doing? Those people, they, they literally rolled it. I mean, unless they worked there for like a month and hated it and left, but (laughs) like if someone's been in a sales development person for a couple of years at a big company, uh, it, you can translate over to it, but it's like a weird transition. I mean, you've done that, right? You've gone from big company to small company. Um, how do you, how did you get that transition? Like, how'd you adjust? Well, so the, the truth is you called out Google and, and Canva. I did work both of those places. I worked for, uh, well, at Google, um, a startup within Google. We were selling daily deals to small business owners, right? Google Offers was a, a competitor to Groupon and Living Social. And I cut my teeth in B2B sales, yeah. uh, making 200 aisles a day, selling, uh, I'll date myself here, uh, Yahoo Yellow Pages advertising to small business owners, right? So I had highly relevant experience. Um, Google as a brand was a value add to me in the sales process because people know Google. But really what I was selling, right, was small business advertising solutions where I had deep and relevant experience and the the part of Google that I was a, a member of like functioned more like a startup than the broader Google. There, there was still kind of like classic hierarchy and yep. certainly all the perks. It was fun to be in the office. Um, Canva, similarly, it was the, the enterprise division, the B2B startup within the broader BSE Canva business, right? So my startup experience translated uh, fairly well into that role. I would never have gone to, to, canva to be a sales leader in a b2c capacity i would never even like throw my hat in the ring for that and similarly at at google um you know selling their enterprise solutions to their classic customer that's that's not a job that i would have necessarily gone after in in both cases opportunities found me um and you know through the process established a a fairly high degree of fit obviously since i went to work for those companies but um no i'm not a big company guy i know that about myself and and you know, if a, if a company comes to me, see, uh, sorry, Series C or beyond and says, we need help with the SDR program, I refer that out. I'm not the guy for that job. Yeah. Right. I'm the like, uh, build it from scratch or fix the, the V1 of, a, of an SDR program, not go and take something big and established and turn it up two, three, four degrees in terms of performance. So where do you hire from? Let's say you, you're, you're trying to get this team going. You decide to do it in-house. There's a couple of things you should know first off. How much is it going to cost to build a, a two-headed SDR team or three-headed SDR team when you first start out? Uh, depends on the stack in place um, <laughs> when you move to hire. But let's say, just for sake of argument, you're going to you're going to buy tech along with people. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about three to five hundred k investment between so, comp and tech, and then the uh, operational and management uh, burden that, to make that that program run do you um is there a way to kind of experiment with it for like a quarter without committing like there's places you can do month to month stuff right and try it out the talent obviously would be like a ramp and you stick if if they usually can get roi out of an sdr in 90 days right like i think generally speaking 90 days is generally speaking yeah that's a, a 90 days to six months is like fair and reasonable um hiring somebody and expecting results in the first month, definitely setting them up to fail and for everybody to get real, real grumpy about that. Um, you know, again, outsourced is like a good option. If what you're trying to do is like a 90 day experiment, if there's a vendor who says like, we can produce results for you in a month, my default response is I call bullshit. But again, if you ask the right questions and they have experience with your buyers, they've basically got a Rolodex and a ramped SDR who can hit the ground. Um, that may be viable. 
Yeah, so it's 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 coming in like um uh so you can build that out. What do you need in your tech stack usually? So like what's in the stack if you're you mentioned there's a hard cost to that obviously. Um what do you if you're listening to this, what do you generally need to get going? CRM. Um I think sales engagement these days is table stakes though I will say like I've gone into new jobs and and run just out of Salesforce. Um, I yeah. I tell that story often, but like back in my day, right? Like my tech stack was a uh, you know, a computer, a hardwired phone, um, Salesforce. And I think back then I was using Dun Bradstreet, right? It was just like whatever yep. was available through the, the Googles. Um, so sales engagement is a is a whole can of worms on its own. I'd, have, I'd actually err on the side of foregoing sales engagement at the onset if you don't have it yet, um, because you can botch that really early on if you don't know what you're doing and then pay the price for it six yeah, to 18 yeah. months down the road. For people that don't know what sales engagement is, which hopefully you do if you you probably do if you follow me, but like or you listen to our podcast, but um, you can basically make sequences and actions and stuff that will help you with logging stuff into Salesforce for each account that you're going after. But you can programmatically set up like six to fifteen or six to thirty steps for a target prospect, and if you do it wrong, your email address can end up in jail for spam. Uh, if you do it incorrectly and you get an unsubscribe to someone, you could burn bridges. You got to be careful because, like today, especially, it's becoming a huger uh, and bigger problem more than ever with people spamming and sending templates to people. Um, so, like, a lot of people like are like, "Oh, I need this, I need this, I need this." But like, you can really just with an inbox a connection to your CRM, whether it's Salesforce, HubSpot, whatever you're using, you can kind of figure do that stuff a little bit when you're first starting out. Um, the other thing that I think it, that's a little underrated is like, you do have to do calling today too. Like, I think you can't like, if you're going to build a sales development team only on email, it's just, you're, you're setting yourself up to fail. You have to do stuff with dialing too, because it's, it's so hard for an email to hit the inbox when you're a new startup kind of figuring things out. Yeah. Uh, every, every bit of research I've read about channels from a outbound standpoint, like the take home is more work better than fewer. Uh, so going into any, any new project, job, consulting engagement for me, it's like start with the three legs of the stool, phone, email, and, and LinkedIn. And then, you know, your little asterisk, hey, it depends. I'm in an environment right now at TeamSense where we're calling into blue collar manufacturing, right? Yeah. We're a phone, like super phone heavy environment. Email's not even really worth our time. Uh, I've worked with a consulting client who sells to marketers and social media managers. They were having success doing outbound via Instagram, right? So oh, it depends on your, your market. Um, but I don't disagree with you. I think the the point I would make is that email only is a recipe for failure when yeah. you take into account that there's like a thousand percent more SDRs in field today than there were 10 years ago. And that those thousand percent more SDRs, generally speaking, are using sales engagement tools like Outreach and Sales Loft and Apollo and Ample Market and on and on down the line, right? Like the sheer volume of emails, yep. right? All translates to just noise in the buyer's inbox. And then we've got, you know, Google and Yahoo tightening the tightening the cranks make it harder to to get those emails in the inbox. And so, um, yeah, use the other channels at your disposal. And whether that's LinkedIn direct messages, social selling, video, text messages, like Instagram messages, understand your buyer and and try some things. Uh, and in terms of the sales engagement piece as well, like it's interesting. I think that uh, I've been in SDR and C for a couple of years when Aaron Ross published Predictable Revenue. And so the notion of like getting to a point of, of predictable in your business and everything that you should do it, it, from that point forward 
right? That whole strategy presumes that you have gotten to a point resembling predictability and repeatability in your business. And for early stage startups, you're very, very unlikely to have that. So the idea of automating a bunch of emails to say, if we send this, does it work? In the early days, just do what works. And that may mean that you send a hundred different variations of an email in a day, but you're actually getting engagement, right? Like why send a thousand of the same email to get no response just so that you can look at the report and say, this is how many people didn't open or didn't respond to my email today, right? Try some stuff. That That's the that's the time in the business where you should be highly, highly experimental in your outbound. That's that's my two cents. So um, when you have these SDRs come in, do they typically only, t- if you're a startup, would you have them work inbound at all or just outbound? Depends. <laughs> it depends on, it depends on the, the inbound volume. Um, you know, inbound is, uh, you know, it's tricky because marketers, whoever's running that program cannot control the the quality nor the quantity of the leads that come in. I think what's mo- more important is the collaboration across the sales and marketing function. And so whether you pass it to an AE, like if you have an AE in seat, maybe they're the right person to field the inbounds uh, and you set the expectation with that seller that you've got a responsibility and obligation to give feedback to marketing so that they can, they can generate better you know, more better leads with every turn of the crank. Uh, you want to hear my take? On the SDR. I got, yeah, I got a take on this. A lot of companies that are out there won't ever let their account executives touch uh, inbound because they're like, oh, they got meetings and stuff. Here's the thing. I think it's all based on how busy is your AE. AEs need to be doing outbound and inbound too. I think if you're like, if when you're first starting out at a smaller company, they can't just be working inbound. I would rather have an AE talk to someone that's not a good fit and add that person to my index, my Rolodex, have them on LinkedIn and use them for referrals than have that be just a high volume, like quick pass off from an SDR. So I think it's all based on volume. Like if you're listening to this, like a lot of people are snobby about like, I don't want my AE wasting their time with these inbound leads. Every person you talk to could know somebody that you need to get in touch with. So like, it's only when you're first starting out. Eventually, once you have enough inbound volume where it's ridiculous, maybe you have maybe that's actually a good stomping ground for your new entry level SDRs to train and learn and like deal with objections and figure some stuff out. But like, I I think you make a great point. Like, um, the collaboration with marketing is really important. But you, like, you you also want to like. I think a lot of people that sit around and wait for meetings, it's not a good philosophy to have. And when you're a young startup, usually your marketing isn't catching up. Like your marketing is not keeping up with what you need for pipeline demand. Um, yeah. Throw, throw, I mean, throw the AE in there sometimes. Hell, screw it. Who cares, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, when did, when did, when did the, uh, the, the buzz phrase like data driven get popular? You and I were both yeah. around for that. Right. But like, I, I certainly when, when interviewing for full-time roles, one of the things that I go poke at is like, what is the relationship between sales and marketing right now? Like I grew up in the classic marketing grumpy because they're paying to generate a whole bunch of leads and sales complaining that the leads aren't any good. Um, Me too. The problem wasn't being, (laughs) being solved, right? Like that should in theory be a, a very symbiotic relationship where you create that flywheel effect. Right. And I've done this a few times at a, at a few different jobs, but when you when you've got the right people with the right mindset in sales and marketing leadership roles who say we're in this together right your success is my success and my failure is your failure you create that flywheel effect where sales feels like they're empowered to provide systematic feedback about the quality of leads and marketing is actually open to that feedback and makes changes in their spend and their strategy as a result with the aim that over time even if the lead volume 
decreases, that the quality goes up. We want sales to be excited about the leads that get handed over. So just in the last like three, four years of my career, I've had the opportunity to work really, really closely with um, both marketing leadership and marketing operations to say, I'm going to make a commitment to hold the SDRs accountable to providing a feedback signal about the quality of the lead. And then I'm going to get in a room with marketing ops and marketing leadership and talk about what are we learning and where can we make tweaks in the lead scoring model to prevent the junk from coming through and to increase and optimize for for good leads, good fit leads to get passed over to sales because everybody's happy in that world, right? But sales wants to feel like they have a voice and their opinion matters. And marketing wants to feel like sales is motivated to take action on the stuff that they're pouring blood, sweat, and tears into generating for the business. So, All right. So you've been working at TeamSense now. I know you did some work with them before too as like a contractor many a couple of years ago too when they were first starting out. Are you... Um, what what's it like prospecting people that aren't really online? Like, I'm kind of curious about that. Cause like, like they're online, but not the same level as like the space that we're both in with like SAS and B2B and like people ripping post off on LinkedIn every day and all this stuff. Like you're not in that world completely with the people that you're prospecting. So like, how do you approach it? Well, I, to answer your first question, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I grew up cold calling like literally picking up a handset and pushing buttons and talking to strangers on the phone. Uh, you know, the tech landscape around us continues to evolve. AI, generative AI, huge, you know, uh, buzzword, hot topic for folks, shiny object. But the truth is in, in B2B selling, this is still inherently a human to human process, right? So starting there is, is a lot, a lot of fun. It cuts out a lot of the uh, noise and, and, stress of like, you know, I spend as an SDR half a day lovingly crafting three, four, five templates that I feel great about. I load them up in sequence, I hit send, and then I wait. And maybe they generate results and probably they don't. Um, like the the rate of engagement and learning when you're picking up the phone and calling people is just much, much faster. And I find that to be rewarding and motivating. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's kind of interesting, I haven't really done this too much. Like I've been kind of in embedded in the space a little bit, but um, when you're not selling to people that are online, what's kind of neat is like some of the stuff that you do is new to them and different. They haven't been hit up with like 20 people doing the same technique or trying the same thing. And I think that that like it allows when you're human selling to like manufacturing or logistics or like, one of those spaces or um one of the one of my favorite stories i was talking to um uh somebody the other day about uh they they work at a company that just sells light bulbs to skyscraping property managers and like a uh, skyscraper will have like 300,000 light bulbs and those cost a couple dollars per light bulb so we're talking like and they last for like 10 or 15 years but like when the cycles up it's a huge deal those people are not on LinkedIn reading my post or your post or like, or like engaging and answering emails and stuff. Like it's kind of like a weird thing for them. They're only on there for jobs and stuff. Um, when you go after that space, they're not getting, they're getting prospected just as much, but some of the companies that are prospecting them are like weird call center places that are doing tactics that are 20 years old. So if you do like something that's kind of new and refreshing, it stands out way more with them as opposed to like something that we just ordinarily get reached out to about every day right now as managers in our companies. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, one part. You, you, you kicked off the, our conversation talking about, you know, 
posting about the notion that that outbound is dead or dying, right? I, the note I made for myself is just, uh, who doesn't love a pattern interrupt? You know, yeah. there's something like on both sides of the equation, something really fun and pleasant to to have to be surprised in a nice way. Um, and to your point, the folks that we're calling uh, on behalf of TeamSense today, they're getting sold to. But but a lot of it is old school tactics. It's it's terrible emails. It's very very generic cold calls. Um, I had a really wonderful opportunity yesterday to interview one of our customers, a, a GM at a manufacturing facility. Um, you know, it was really fascinating to get his perspective. I asked him a bunch of questions about does he get sold to and what gets his attention, and it was a it was a really enlightening conversation. Not necessarily anything unexpected, um, but even just his willingness to like lay it all out for me was pretty cool. Uh, and to get a little peek under the hood there, they are still getting sold to, but a lot of it is just terrible. And so the conversation, you know, the debrief I had with my team is like, what are we going to do about this? Like, those people, this those people are still getting cycled by Eden by an alligator emails and like, <laughs> like things that were yeah. like trendy 20 years ago sometimes. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think it's important. I think my opinion on outbound prospecting has changed a little bit where it's not that it's going to die. It's that it, the reach that you do is even more important than it was. I had Matthew Roberts on here from uh, Mosaic a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about this, like the future of outbound is going to be like making a Super Bowl ad, but for one person at a time. But that's kind of like where we're heading with it, I think. And the downside and the reason we don't do that today is because you can't guarantee that they're going to see it. So the effort's not worth it, but I'm trying to fix that with pitch fire. It's like one of the reasons where that's like where my vision's going kind of with what prospecting is becoming. And right now you can still do that with cold calls and cold emails in the space that you're selling and do, because like they're not getting, they're getting prospected, but like, I'll give you an example. I talked to somebody who gets 300 cold emails a day. The other day, they work at a $6 billion company um, and they're C-suite. And I was like, Holy crap. I can't believe that. The logistics guys aren't getting hit up that much, but they are they, they are getting calls and emails every day. But it's usually like call script, strict, not going off the path, not showing who they are, not being human. And like you have if you're armed in that like that SaaS space, but then you go to another space, you really kick ass. Another person that's really great at this to follow would be like um Kevin Dorsey has been someone that like I always looked up to because Kevin sells in spaces that aren't in our economy, like at the B2B tech economy. I always thought it was kind of interesting. Um, okay. So we talked about all this stuff. We're kind of getting near time here. If you're someone listening and we gave you, we definitely got to have you come back on Seth. Cause like, I feel like we got like, we just tipped the surface on starting SDR teams. If you're listening to this, do you have any other final advice that you'd say if you're thinking about like either restarting an SDR team, rebuilding or trying it for the first time? Like what would you do fresh if you had a new, a new spot and a new team? I mean, I th- I, that's a good question. It's a, it's a tough one to answer. You got to do it wholeheartedly. Like you, you can't cheap out. And and I think the you said it first, but go into it with realistic expectations. Uh, I've said this like thousands of times. Starting an SDR program is not turning the key in a car and pressing the gas. It's not as easy as flipping a switch, right? It takes time. If you've never done it before, if you've done it before and it failed, there's work involved and it's going to take a little bit to figure things out. And so 
Uh, be patient with yourself and your business, certainly from an investor standpoint, like set good and realistic expectations with them. Don't overpromise. A lot of a lot of founders get in trouble in, in that regard. Um, hey, we're going to go hire SDRs. Great. Like, what does that turn into and close one business at the end of the year? And you still don't even know what your typical sales cycle is, right? The, there's some problems in that model. Uh, but these things take time. They do. And don't give up easily. You got you to give yourself and your people some time to uh, try and fail before they figure out what actually works on a repeatable basis. I do have one more question I wanted to ask earlier that I forgot, and then we can wrap up. Um, yeah. What What do you look for in talent for a new SDR hire? I know we talked about like, hey, look at their background and don't get someone that worked at a big company and have them come to a small company, but also like don't get someone that's never done it before unless you have leadership in place or someone that has done it before. Like what's kind of the, what, What's when do you know like hey let's say I hired two people when do you know it's the people versus the the situation at the company? For me, it starts in the this the quote selling process, right? I uh, I worked in recruiting before I got into sales development. Um, credit words due. Colin Stewart at Predictable Revenue introduced me to uh, who the process for hiring a players. It's a really incredible book about recruiting stellar talent and doing it in a way where you're, you're running a repeatable process uh, to make it very specific in my SDR hiring process. Every candidate in the first two interviews gets the same series of questions, right? Set a baseline. Um, and I'm assessing for fit. You have to know what the needs of the business are. And so the pre-work portion recommended by, by who, right? Is having a conversation with the necessary stakeholders and getting aligned on like, what is it the business needs today? And bring a consultant if you need it. I'm not like, that's not me. I'm not saying give me a call, but make sure that you're really clear. <laughs> uh, be clear on on what the needs of the business are today and then use a uh, a rigorous and repeatable process to screen against that criteria. Right. In the same way that you would do with a prospect, are we a good fit for each other? And if we look back a year from now, are you going to be happy? Um, because in the early days of your SDR program, quotas are totally arbitrary. They're hopes and dreams, right? If you hire the right person and you've got confidence that you've screened thoroughly against the requirements for the business and they show up and they do their job, which is largely go try some shit and give us feedback, right? That's a win regardless of the pipeline they generate. The pipeline will come. But the specific answer to your question, what am I looking for? I'm looking for fit. I'm going to have honest conversations with myself about what do I need in the business today? And I'm going to go hire for that profile and I'm going to screen every candidate against the same measuring stick. Seth, where do, where do you want people to go? T- take it home, uh, bring it home. What do you want them to do? <laughs> what do you want to plug? Uh, LinkedIn is good. I'm a avid networker. I'm a heavily tattooed kid with no college degree. My, my network is literally my livelihood. I'm happy to connect, but drop me a note. I don't do cold invites. I've been on LinkedIn since 04. My network is big and unwieldy. I, I like to know people. So uh, if you're listening, if you want to connect, drop me an invite with some sort of note that says you, you listened um, and certainly any other context you want to provide. But LinkedIn is great for me. Um, and if you really want to hit my inbox, uh, my SalesCraft account stays pretty clean. Seth at salescraft.biz. Um, not not in a position to take on any new clients, but I'm always happy to talk shop. So all you have to do in the LinkedIn personal connections, be like that Ryan guy is super annoying, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> That's what you say there in the go. message. And Seth will be like, oh, they listened. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on, Seth. We'll talk to you soon, man. Hey, thanks, Ryan. This was fun. <laughs>